Sabbath. It is a word that invokes the ideas of doing nothing, of not working. You'll have to pardon me for a minute because I feel like I have to get my money's worth from this time I'm spending at Duke. Um, the Hebrew word Shabbat just means intermission, like in a play or a movie. It's a pause in the action. The word is uh, a form of another word, Shabbat, which means to desist from exertion. So keeping Sabbath seems easy, right? Just pick a day and don't do any work. Kind of an overly simplistic approach to it, but what does Sabbath really look like? Turning off, stopping work, not doing anything is not so simple these days, is it? We are inundated with things to keep us busy. Work, school, extracurricular activities, family activities, yard work, housework, laundry, church, church activities, and of course we've got to remember the important things, golf, at least I do. It feels like there's always something to do, things that must be done. And when we get to the end of the day, we wonder, why do we feel so exhausted? Why are we so drained? Why is it that we feel like that we didn't really get anything done? And our to-do list just seems to have gotten even longer than when we started out. Tomorrow, we remember a man who embodied what it means to resist. Resistance to social injustices, resistance to racism, to otherness, to um, uh, leaving out. Today, then, we are going to dig a little deeper into Sabbath and see what Sabbath itself looks like as resistance and how using that resistance can help, us, can help bring us into a better relationship with God and with our neighbor. Let us pray. God, we give thanks this day that you have brought us here together. It is by no accident we are here. God, open our hearts and minds to your Holy Spirit. Fill us. Lord, speak through us and through me. May we hear a word from you this morning, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The scripture reading this morning, uh, we're going to have two actually. The, the first one comes from Exodus chapter 20. Verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord 
made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Jesus went through the wheat fields on the Sabbath. As the disciples made their way, they were picking the heads of wheat. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the Sabbath law? He said to them, Have you ever read what David did when he was in need, when he and those with him were hungry? During the time when Abiathar was high priest, David went into God's house and ate the bread of the presence which only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave bread to those who were with him. Then he said, the Sabbath was created for humans. Humans weren't created for the Sabbath. This is why the human one is Lord even over the Sabbath. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Did your mama ever tell you don't get above your raising? Have you ever heard that phrase before? Uh, I kind of had to explain it to Missy. She apparently was not in on some of these great southern colloquialisms. But this one just means remember your family. Remember who you are. What, what are your values and where you came from? Now, there's a movie that Missy and I love very dearly, Sweet Home Alabama. How many have seen that movie? It's a great movie. I love it. The main character, Melanie Smooter, leaves her high school sweetheart husband, Jake Perry, to go off to the big city of New York to become successful. And there she finds a new love in Andrew Hennings, a wealthy bachelor from New York whose mother also happens to be the mayor of New York. They decided to get married, but there's a little problem. It turns out that Melanie's divorce to Jake was never finalized. So she has to make this journey back to Alabama, to her small hometown, to ask Jake to sign those papers so that she can move forward with this marriage to Andrew. And coming back, Melanie is faced with the person that she was, her past, her family, her upbringing. She has to remember who she is and who she thinks she is and is really faced with this conundrum. I'm not going to spoil the rest of the movie that, for those of you that haven't seen it, but it's, it's a great story of resistance to getting above your raising. And in many ways, the Sabbath commandment is a call for the Israelites and us to not get above our raising. Last week, Tyler introduced us to Sabbath, as a way to remember, to recall who we are and what, were we, what we were created for. The Sabbath commandment given here in Exodus starts out with the word remember, but here remember in verse 8 has a meaning that's more closely tied to paying mind to or being mindful of rather than recalling. Let's think about that for a moment. 
God has freed the Israelites from Egyptian bondage and slavery. And now he's asking them, set aside a day, one day out of seven, to do no work, to rest. Now, it it sounds like a simple concept, but we have to remember that this is a foreign idea to this people. They've been in bondage and slavery for 400 years. That's all they have known is work. Pharaoh's production demands required an endless supply of bricks to store uh, to build storehouses for grain so that Pharaoh could grow more grain so that they would need to build more storehouses which would require more bricks. There was never a stoppage in this production schedule. If they grumbled, Pharaoh made their work harder. He would double their production demands, or he would make them go out and gather their own straw to use in making the bricks. And I think today we find ourselves in much the same space as the Israelites in our commodity-driven economy. To get or to stay ahead, we have to work harder. We have to work longer. We have to do more. We must continually be on and producing. We make no time for space or or space for rest. But yet, God is saying, wait, no, that's not what I envision. God is saying Sabbath is God's way of saying Pharaoh's way is not how I want you to live. Walter Brueggemann, in his book, Sabbath is Resistance, puts it this way. God is not Pharaoh. To the contrary, God rests confident, serene, at peace. God's rest contradicts the driveness of Pharaoh. So to live into that requires an intention, a resistance to the coercion to be in production mode all the time to just stop and be. In verse 11, we see a a reminder to the Israelites, and, and again to us, why God created the Sabbath and how it can be a resistance to that anxiety to constantly produce. It says, because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh. Have you ever worked with someone who thought that the company or the church would come to a crashing halt, a grinding halt, if they didn't show up? Have you ever felt that way yourself about your work or your ministry, that you've got to be there all the time? The anxiety can be palpable but it's likely unwarranted. Things will still get done. Work's still going to go on. When God created everything, God stepped back and he rested. God resisted the urge to do more. God was not anxious about the full functioning of creation. Brueggemann poignantly notes that Yahweh is not a workaholic. 
and that the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. God trusted that creation would go on even if he took a break. The world's going to continue spinning. In this, we see rest, not anxiety, not production, not being on as the center of life. Verse 11 also kind of helps us to think about a rhythm of life as well. There's a six and one, as it were. We see this elsewhere. Six years, the land is to be farmed, and in the seventh, it is to rest. They were to give the land a chance to recover. What's even more interesting is the year of Jubilee, which happened every seven years. I actually sat down uh, briefly with my Old Testament professor to kind of soundboard some ideas about this sermon and, and to get some deeper, maybe some deeper understanding of the text behind uh, what we read this morning. And we talked a little bit about the year of Jubilee. And, and for those of you that may not be familiar with it it's, it, it's the time when all debts are forgiven. If you borrowed money and still owed a balance at the year of Jubilee, that balance was forgiven. But what I didn't know is that if you leveraged family land in order to get money, at the year of Jubilee, you got your land back. It was returned to you. You got back what was rightly yours to begin with. So in looking at Sabbath, it's a way for us to resist the temptation to forget who we are as children of God and rightly return to the place that was given to us from the very beginning, all the way back to Genesis, the Garden of Eden, a place of peace, a place of fellowship, with God and a right relationship with neighbor. Now, how can Sabbath affect our relationship with neighbor? When God gave us the commandment, God did not just say that the Israelites alone should not work. It wasn't directed strictly at the Israelites themselves. No. Verse 10 says, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or your female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. That's a pretty inclusive list. It does not exclude anyone based on gender, familial position, social status, or even species. Now, as due diligence, you'll note that this text does not render any judgment about slavery. It's not condemning slavery in any way, and we may have a desire to call foul on that, but we must remember the historical time. This was written in a real time, in a real place, by real people, that slavery was, unfortunately, an accepted thing. But what it is calling out is that the other, those that may not be in our social structure, we are to treat them equally on the Sabbath and therefore the rest of the time as well. 
Sabbath levels the playing field. For the Israelites, again, another vast departure from what they felt like in Egypt. They were slaves. They were treated as less than. Now God is telling them to remember the way that was. Remember how you were in Egypt as a slave. Don't do the same thing. The Sabbath then becomes a resistance to excluding those not in our as considered part of our society. There's another key word in the commandment, though, that I want to focus on for just a moment. Not only were they to remember the Sabbath, but they were to keep it holy. This also ties into the notion of an intention and resistance. It should not just be another day. The Hebrew word used there is used elsewhere in Scripture to mean consecrated or hallowed. There's a, a sense of reverence to it. You treat something that is consecrated or hallowed very differently from something that is common. So there needs to be a resistance to profaning that which is holy. Sabbath should be intentionally holy. Keeping something holy, however, is dangerous. Because you know what? It can be transformative. Any genuine encounter with the holy will change you. In Exodus 34, Moses' face is said to have shone because he had been talking with God. Isaiah accepts his commission as a prophet in Isaiah 6 after seeing the Lord high and lifted up. The blind, deaf, sick, lame, and demon-possessed walked away healed after encountering Jesus. Paul was briefly blinded after seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus. What might God change in us if we were to live into a holy Sabbath and encounter a holiness in that day? And are we willing to risk that? Each semester, students at the uh, hybrid divinity school programs at Duke gather on campus for one week of in-person classes before we switch to uh, our virtual class meetings for the rest of the semester. This past week was my week for the spring semester. Now, at first they call this week intensive week. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, that is spot on. Uh, it's, it's close, very close to what you actually experienced that week. It's pretty intense. But they, the, the leaders and, and the, the administrators thought, you know what, that word's a little bit too, uh, I don't know, intimidating. So they decided to change it to call it an immersive week, uh, which, you know, it's not so scary, and it gives this idea of a baptism. Now, for some of us, it feels more like a baptism by fire, but, um, but in all seriousness, for me, this past week and even the week that I went in the fall were like spiritual mountaintops. Being at the Divinity School, worshiping, studying with my fellow sojourners, being in the Word that whole week, praying, focusing, it was a holy moment for me. It was a pause in my everyday work schedule. I commented to several of my classmates that, man, if I could just find a way that I could quit my job 
and be a full-time resident. I could just be here all the time. Would be nice, but bills to pay, food to eat, kind of need to work. But we got to talking about that a little bit, and we got to realizing that this week is very special to us in, in our program. We're unlike the, the residential students because we, get, we only get to actually see each other face-to-face one time out of a semester during that week. And that week is very special to us all, even just after two semesters. I think the phrase, familiarity breeds content, is very apropos. While I would love to be able to immerse myself in that space the entire time, I think being there, that in, being in that, being familiar with it, becoming too familiar with it would lose that specialness. And in such a way, too, we need to avoid Sabbath becoming so familiar that it just becomes mechanical that there's no intention to it. We are just simply going through the motions of it. I'll make one more little side note and then close. The verses that we read earlier in Exodus form the fourth commandment of the ten. The first three, no gods, no idols, don't use God's name in vain are all temporal in nature. They, they relate to how humans are to be in relationship with God. The five that follow the Sabbath commandment are all moral. Don't kill, don't steal, honor your father and mother, etc. They speak to how we are to interact with each other. Now, is it a coincidence that we find the Sabbath sandwiched or placed like a hinge or a fulcrum right there between those two blocks of commandments? Not likely. By giving these commandments and placing the Sabbath in that position, it emphasizes the importance of maintaining Sabbath as a balance in keeping that right relationship with God and neighbor God called the children of Israel to resist being like all the other peoples in the nations around them, to be unique. And the Sabbath was key to that resistance. Sabbath as resistance to forgetting, to coercion, to familiarity, to legalism, to exclusion, to anxiety, to forget what is rightly ours. These are the things that Sabbath bring to us. And how... Can we tap into that resistance? Jesus said it very simply. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. He is our Sabbath. May we remember and may we resist getting above our raising. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.